Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy Rock returns and preaches a sermon from Ephesians chapter 4, titled Overcoming Anger, Part 2. Learning to navigate anger as God intended involves expressing our feelings truthfully for healing and understanding. Silencing emotions allows hurt to intensify, stealing the joy God offers. This is especially crucial when dealing with anger from others. Holding on to anger robs us of compassion and forgiveness, yet embracing forgiveness akin to Jesus' response frees us from the need to control through anger. Let's choose open and honest communication, releasing the grip of anger and allowing love to guide our actions. Happy New Year, friends. It's so good to see you guys. Welcome to church. If this is your first time with us this morning, welcome. It is no small thing to come to a new church for the first time, and so we just want to warmly welcome you this morning. Um, So many of us are new in the church, and so there's a ton of ways to get connected uh, and grow together, and we hope and pray that you'll uh, dip your toe into the water. And don't worry, as you're trying to make that connection with each other, it's not a lifelong commitment, right? You're allowed to uh, try things. Uh, uh, being new in the church, and so I'm just glad that you guys are here. So welcome. Good morning, everyone. So uh, every week, we talk about what we believe as a church. This is our vision as a church, and this all comes from Isaiah 61, where the Spirit of the Lord has rested upon us to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind. And so we believe three things as a church, and we make our decisions by these three things. So the first is that there is always hope beyond our brokenness. So we're a church dedicated to being vulnerable, dedicated to being honest, dedicated to the reality that none of us have our life together. We're all hot messes. I mean, just look at the person sitting next to you, right? I mean, goodness, right? I mean, you dragged them here hoping they'd get saved, and they prayed the same prayer for you this morning, right? So... uh, all the, all the per- perfect people left a while ago, and praise God. Uh, so uh, we are committed to not performing. We're committed to actually being honest about what's going on in our lives because the story that all of us have is that we're lost and found, dead and alive. And when we look back on our life, we can see how God is resurrecting us bit by bit by bit. In present tense, we're always working on that next thing. Amen? So... That's why there's always hope. That's why we don't live in a place of uh, I'm terrible and I'm awful, but we live from the place of Jesus, I need you desperately, and I'm so grateful that you're mine and that I'm yours. The second, we're called to trust in our risen Savior. That is a process that we do together. Uh, The Lone Ranger was never alone. He always had Tonto, right, Uh, and his horse. Uh, so we, we don't do this alone. We do this together. We learn how to have faith and live out of faith together because faith is where it, it, it is putting the car in drive, right? It is doing life together and ushering God's kingdom together. This year is an election year, and there is going to be a ping pong match between Democrats and Republicans and liberals and conservatives, and the ping pong ball is a ball of manure. And everybody's going to get covered in that, okay? We, we don't, we're not in that ping pong game. We're in a different kingdom. And our kingdom is the kingdom where Jesus is king. 
And so we get to have all of the issues. And we get to have, we get to care about all of the things and all of the people because we don't have a king except Jesus. And so that's, so, so to trust God together is a thing where we're going we're, to, we're, we have to be together and connect together and grow together. And so that's why, that's why we want to get connected as a church. Finally, we're called to bring restoration. That's the work we do together. And so Eric Tweedy is going to bring restoration to someone this week, and it's going to be amazing. And, um, and there's stories. Uh, I mean, every single time we do Change for a Dollar, which is twice a month, we just hear miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And you guys were crazy generous in 2023, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen in 2024 because we're actually part of a church that's not spending all of our money on my new Maserati, <laughs> which I don't have. I got a Kia, right? We're not spending money on making the church building spectacular so that more and more and more people will come. We're spending our money on the people in this church and outside of this church who have yet to come to this church so that their lives are radically changed, so that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real and God loves them. Amen? That's what we're doing as a church. So each one of these truths has a choice. We, you don't fall into faith like you fall into a hole, right? Anybody been married longer than eight minutes knows that you got to choose. You got to choose every single moment, every single day. And so we say this all together every week, and it goes like this. Today, and if you want to choose to follow Jesus, then say it with me. Today, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So can I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts today? Yes. That'd be okay? Yes. For all those who watch online, is it okay if I speak to your heart of hearts today? Because before, we're back in the book of Ephesians. And before we, did, we took a break for all of Christmas, I preached a whole sermon on anger in the book of Ephesians. And I'd said there's going to be a part two. Today's the part two. Okay? So are you ready for this? Yes. Don't get mad. Yet, right? Don't worry. There'll be plenty of moments where you're like, how do you know what I'm thinking? And just know that I am the clown car of all of your problems, right? I don't know why it is, but I, I go through all the things every week, right? And so if you think to yourself, gosh, Andy doesn't get angry, hogwash, I get angry all the time. And I had never knew how to do it right, and I'm learning right now, present tense in my life, how to do anger differently than all the dysfunctional ways that I've learned in the past. So please know that I'm exactly one page ahead of you in the book, okay? Mainly because I had to write this this week and then go through it, okay? So uh, last time we were in the book of Ephesians, we left off in chapter four, we talked about overcoming anger, and we, we, we talked about how anger is this fire that burns within us that when we hold on to it for too long, it burns everyone and everything around us. It is rocket fuel for us to move to protect. Anger is designed to destroy evil. That's its, uh, that's its point. And I'll put up the first slide here. The anger was created by God to move us to protect. In God's design, anger is dangerous and harmful to evil. Does that make sense? Anger is not from the enemy. Anger is from God. He created it to destroy evil. 
Um, God gets angry, but not in the way that you probably think. And so we're going to talk a lot today about what anger is and what anger isn't. But can I pray for us before we do anything else? So Jesus, we just bind up and silence any anger that's in the room and anything opposed to Christ that would be trying to put us to sleep or get us distracted or make us think, oh gosh, I wish the other person would figure this out. God, we offer our hearts to you now, Lord. And we say, Lord, change my heart. Awaken my soul this morning. Show me what you would have to say to me, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen? Amen. So anger is this energy created by God to help us to say, stop that. Does that make sense? Okay. It's the rocket fuel that moves us quickly to protect the innocent. Rocket fuel, I don't know if you know this, but it's not a good long-term fuel. You know those funny cars that drive 230 miles down the track, right? They got real long things. You know how long their engines last? 50 miles. 50 miles. They can run that run five times until their engines literally blow up. Why? Because the fuel is literally rocket fuel. You cannot live your life long-term on anger. You will blow up, right? And it's designed to move us to defend those who are attacked, to protect that which is precious and irreplaceable from being harmed or destroyed. So anger from God or righteous anger, as we call it, or as people have called it, is always designed to destroy evil, not people, but evil. Does that make sense? When, and I talked about this last time, and it's super annoying, but here it is. When we make people the problem rather than the problem the problem, we will use anger to harm others rather than using anger to stop evil. Does that make sense? Read this with me. When we make people the... Wait, go back. When we make people the problem rather than the problem the problem, we will use anger to harm others rather than use anger to stopping evil. Does that make sense? So I can be mad about what's going on that I don't like, that's evil, that's wrong, but I can also treat people with kindness. I can do both at the same time. And men, I don't know if you know this, but you can have more than one emotion at the same time. <laughs> I learned that two years ago, right? I'm going to be 47 this week, right? And uh, uh, next Sunday you can sing. Uh, but... Like, I learned that when I was 45. Well, I, wait, I can have more than one emotion at the same? It's true. And women are like, finally, right? Because <laughs> they've known this their whole lives. I don't know what it is, just progesterone, or I don't get it, but there it is. But so when you, it is okay to, to be angry at a situation that's wrong and not make the person the problem. Make sense? I'll explain more as we keep on going. So Paul writes in this passage, verses, again, they're all connected together. Everything, I told you this last time, all of these verses in this passage, Paul's not just throwing a salad together and hoping that it tastes right, all mixed up. Every single verse is all connected with one another. So let's read this. You, you read it a month ago, let's read it again. Here it is, Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we all members of one body. So 
We spoke about this last time. Learning how to use anger the way God intended means that we start speaking the truth to each other about how we feel. If you never tell the truth about how you feel, your anger will grow and grow and grow in size. And what stays hidden in the darkness of unspoken feelings and unspoken hurts will turn into a decade-eating monster in your marriage, in your home, in all of your important relationships. You have to speak how you feel. And Paul wants us to speak the truth to each other. Why? Because we're all connected like in our own body. Can you imagine if you broke your arm and you never acknowledged it? You're just like, oh, I'll just shake it off. I'll just walk it off. No big deal. Your arm is shattered to a million pieces. Bones are sticking out of your skin. And you're like, you know what? It's not a big deal. I'll just uh, not use it anymore. I'll just pretend. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm fine. Can you imagine? It's crazy. But when people ask you how you are, what do we say? I'm fine. Too blessed to be distressed. Right? It's not helpful at all. Speaking the truth to each other is the invitation to actually... For healing to happen, keeping silent only makes the hurt grow. And when that hurt turns into that monster in that silent darkness, the damage that is done by not speaking and keeping that monster growing will be greater than the damage of the original wound. Does that make sense? The strategy of not talking makes the original wound look like child's play compared to the years of living with anger and the damage that 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 does. Make it a sense? You pick up what I put down, yes? Okay, great. So our emotions are the exhaust system of our soul. We're designed to talk. We're designed to connect. We're designed to speak. And that's hard for some of us because we grew up in homes where that wasn't okay or we grew up in systems where, you know, or cultures where we just couldn't talk or where we feel like, oh, I, I can't say anything. i got to bear it all. i got to keep all the weight on me. When we're hurt, when we're sad, when we're anxious, when we're joyful, when we're full of love, when we're angry, we're designed to speak out these emotions. And when it comes to speaking anger, you don't have to yell. You don't have to scream. It's okay to have some heat in your voice. Can I, t- can I give you a tool about how to speak anger? Healthy? Seven people said yes. Great. We're now up to 45. The rest of you are like, I don't know. Maybe. This is a tool that's been around for a long time. It's called nonviolent communication. It always starts with describing an event with the words when you, and then it starts with how, and then it says how you feel. So it goes like this. When you speak to me that way, when you didn't do what you promised, when you made that choice, then it's how I feel. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. You can put a little bit of heat behind your voice. You can say, I'm mad. I'm hurt. I'm angry. But it's, not, it's when you, and then you describe an event. Now, it's really important. This is what nonviolent communication also is not something. Can I tell you what it's not? It's not insulting another person. It's not saying, when you were a stupid butt-faced jerk, I was hurt, or, whoa, who peed in your Cheerios, right? You actually have to describe what the person did as best as you can without resorting to immature insults. 
Now, we got taught how to fight in weird ways, right? Some of us got taught how to fight by just leaving. Some of us got taught how to fight by getting big. Some of us taught how to fight by knifing right in that place, that perfectly timed insult that just crushes a person. None of that's helpful, right? Nonviolent communication is not trying to harm the other person. Because we talked about this, right? It's verse 26, right? In your anger, so next slide, in your anger, do not sin. So be angry, but don't sin. And you do that by saying, when this happened, when you said this, when you did this, when you didn't do this, I am hurt. I, got a, I felt alone. I got abandoned. I'm, I got destroyed. That hurt me. I don't like that. That makes the problem the problem rather than the person the problem. You picking up what I'm putting down? So we don't let the sun go down while we're angry. And we don't give the devil a foothold or a way to attach to our lives. So the idea here is that you don't make another person pay. You remember those two big umbrella terms that we've talked about for months now? What love is and what hate is? Those are umbrella terms in the Bible, right? And the umbrella term goes like this. Hate is the choice to make another person pay, right? So that I benefit. I'm going to slander you so that I feel better. I'm going to yell at you so that I feel better. I'm going to betray you so that I get what I want. I'm going to steal from you so because I feel robbed. I'm, I'm going to make you pay so that I benefit. Love is the exact opposite. I'm going to pay so that you benefit. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give you things. I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you energy. I'm going to give you love. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to sacrifice what I need for you. I'll pay for you. That's love. Does that make sense? When we're angry and not sinning, that means that I'm not making you pay. I still get to be angry, but I don't get, I'm not destroying you with my anger. I'm making the problem the problem rather than the person the problem. This also applies to how you speak to yourself. You are not allowed to destroy yourself. Sorry. I'm really good at that. I have a doctorate in hating me. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. It doesn't help. It doesn't do anything. Now, here's a dynamic that we didn't talk about last time, but I'm preaching this sermon to talk about this. Um, Hey... Sinning in our anger isn't just about making another person pay. We sin in our anger when we also use our anger to try and control other people. Sorry, if you feel defensive right now and attack, don't worry, I'm with you. What do we do when we try and control people with our anger? We get big, we raise our voices, we slam our hands on the table. We stop. We huff. Right? We ball up our fists. Right? And all that is designed to make the other person afraid so that they will do what we want them to do. When we use our anger to make another person afraid, we're trying to control their behavior. Does God do that with you? No. 
God woos you with his love. He never tries to control your behavior by making you afraid. He invites you out of the dumpster of death into buffet of life. He says, come. He invites you. He stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't slam open the door and say, you have to come with me right now. <laughs> right? Only the devil tries to control your behavior by making you afraid or ashamed or filled with pride and power. When we use anger to try and control people, we are literally doing the devil's job, and he just sits back and goes, <laughs> it's getting awfully quiet in here. <laughs> now, April and I were sharing in staff meeting. I talked with April about this. She's so great with me sharing this. We were sharing in staff meeting about the dynamics in our marriage. April learned from her dad how to use anger to control others through fear, and then she learning that tool, did the same thing in our marriage for 20 plus years, right? So she, as she used anger in our marriage, I was the one who got afraid. Um, and I didn't want April to explode in anger. So what did I do as she's trying to control me? Here's the flip side. When you have someone that's loud and yelly and they're trying to make you afraid and control, on the flip side, what are you doing? The one trying to be controlled. What do you do? <laughs> You try and control them, right? That's what you do. How can I make it better for you? How can I keep you not angry? How can I keep you happy? How can I move you from angry to happy? What can I do? How can I say, right? And so for two decades, I said and did whatever I could to keep April from getting angry, to get her from angry to happy, to keep her at happy so she wouldn't go to angry. And I was trying to control her because she's trying to control me. By the way, do you like it when people try and control you? How do you feel when people try and control you? Angry. <laughs> so here's what's crazy when you try and use anger to try and control another person by making them afraid. What are you doing in your life? If you're the angry one and you're trying to make them afraid and how come you just don't move, what are they going to do? They're going to get angry, but they're going to do it in a different way. They're going to go, oh, you're mad at me? Okay. Fine. I'll just be happy all the time. And they'll be mad at you, but they'll never say anything. And then all of a sudden, anger that results in control breeds anger that creates control. What a hot freaking mess. No wonder the enemy loves it when we use anger this way. Picking up what I'm putting down? Isn't this the definition of insanity? If you hold on to your anger, this is super important. Pay attention to my grammar. It's not if you express your anger. That's what Paul wants us to do. If you hold it and 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 hold it, in the attempt to control another person, it never changes their heart. Your anger only changes your heart. You become the person who you never wanted to be. Thus, Paul says, verse 26, do not let, read this with me, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Please don't fight till 2 o'clock in the morning. This is not a literal thing, okay? 
It's okay to take a pause and go, hey, um, we're exhausted. Let's take a break and talk in the morning. The idea is deal with it. Does that make sense? Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't hold on to your anger. Share it and then let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Your job is not to make the other person feel as horrible as you feel. That's the entryway to murder. When you try and make them feel and make them suffer and make them go through what you went through, that's just called murder. Don't let the devil gain a foothold in your life because you're so busy getting everyone to pray with you and agree with you and be on your side and see how terrible they are and see how awful they are and you're holding your anger and you're holding your anger and you're holding your anger and now all of a sudden you've just invited the enemy into your life. Does that make sense? You know, they're always so angry to me. I'll just tell 75 people that. Now I'm the one. Now I'm the one who's actually making things worse. The urgency to deal with your anger before the sun sets is about actually having the courage to speak. And sometimes you're going to need help with that, like literally. Sometimes you're going to need to talk to a friend. You're going to need to talk to a counselor. You're going to say, help me sort this out so that I'm not an absolute jerk when I say this to the person that I love. That's great. Do that. Okay, sharing your anger. Next slide. Sharing your anger is an act of vulnerability to heal the hurt, to make a way for repentance and love. Don't hold on to your anger so that you can control the other person with how big and scary you can get. That's the devil's presence in your heart. So would you like to be done controlling other people with your anger by making them afraid? Yes. Then pray a dangerous prayer with me. This is a prayer that I've been praying for a while. Jesus, forgive me for using my anger to make others feel afraid. Forgive me for using my anger to control others. I'm trying to be God, and that's not even how you treat me. I reject my strategy of trying to control others with my anger now. In Jesus' name, I take back my humility. I take back my faith. Jesus, show me your way of love and vulnerability and mercy. Amen. 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 Now, anger, by God's design, is designed to stop the infection. Anger is the no, the presence of evil and the destructive force of evil. But you don't build anything with anger. You don't create anything with anger. If you use your anger as a tool to try and build something, you can control a person for a moment, but in the long run, all you're doing is stealing the peace and joy and love that God wants for your own heart. And then you're going to be miserable to be around. Thus, Paul writes, verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must no longer steal, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they maybe have something to share with those in need. So don't literally steal stuff. Yes? yes? 
And also emotionally and spiritually, stop stealing things, right? Don't steal the joy God is giving you by holding on to your anger. And this is especially true of us for those who are being hurt by angry people. Paul then will follow up with the same idea, but he's just phrased to illuminate another part of my heart. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. When I'm hurt by angry people, I want to get people on my side. It's time to rally the troops, (laughs) right? See how bad I'm being treated? I'm not forgiving. I'm not letting it go. Why? Because I don't want to admit that I'm also the one holding on to my anger. I'm holding on to my anger about being mistreated, and I'm building the case as to why I'm a victim, eventually so that I'll be justified in my revenge. I'm holding on to my anger so that I can somehow change the person who has hurt me with my anger now. And strangely, I'll never admit that I'm the one who's angry. When in reality, everybody's angry. Sounds nuts, right? Yes? No? I mean, it's understandable, but it's crazy, right? It's what we do. And for those of us who've been hurt by angry people... We'll never admit that we're angry. I love Doug Davis with all my heart. He is hilarious. He stood up at our Christmas dinner and said he was mad at me for not letting him eat cake because he's diabetic. So we were talking to men's Bible study this week about how anger, and Doug says, I never get angry. And I said, what do you mean, Doug? You always get angry. Every time I say, no, you can't have sweets. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh. It was perfect. I don't want to admit that I get angry because that means I'm no longer the victim. Does that make sense? I no longer, well, I don't want to admit that I I try and conceal my anger because then that means that I have to admit that I'm using power and control and performance and all these other tools that are totally unhealthy and dysfunctional. Ask my family and friends what it's like to be around me when I use those tools. If you've, next slide, if you've been the one who suffered from another's anger and you've signed up for the job to try and control them, either by your manipulation or your apathy, you've made the choice over and over again to exchange your faith and joy and love for a meager and worthless substitute, power and control. That's what I've done. And I'm all the way done with this strategy in my life. So if you're willing to pray another prayer with me. It's a prayer I've been praying a lot over these past months, and it goes like this. And you want it. Pray with me if you like. Jesus, I've been hurt by others trying to control me with their anger, and my response has not been helpful. I reject and let go of my strategy to give up my faith and love and joy in order to control how others feel and behave. You don't ever try to control how I feel, Jesus. Next slide. I take back my faith that you can handle the problems and people I was never supposed to control. I take back my love and joy 
for you love me and are overjoyed to have me as your own. I surrender and release to you those who have hurt me. Amen. Paul ends this section with this crazy, beautiful truth. Verse 32. Be kind. Read this with me. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Holding on to anger robs me. Not speaking anger in a nonviolent way, holding on to it until it turns into a monster and then living out of that, trying to control others with that. Holding on to my anger robs me of kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And here is the amazing hope of the gospel. Are you ready? Jesus, in response to me holding on to all my anger and being miserable to be around, what does Jesus do? Does he get mad at me? I know you think that about how Jesus treats me. But I want you to look at your own heart right now. Because the things that you are mad about in your life, you are twice as mad at yourself. You beat yourself up way more than anybody else does. And God's response to my foolishness and my anger is never to be angry with me. God's response is to love me, is to forgive me is to have mercy on me. That's God's response to me. Jesus never lets me go. He's never fed up with me. He's not bitter that I'm not better. He's never done with me because I've failed or that I'm currently flailing about. Jesus loves me. He wants me. He chooses me again and again and again. He died on the cross for me when I was angry and unbelieving and resentful and full of hate in my heart. That's when he died for me. He didn't die for me when I had it all together. He died for me when I was his enemy. He died for you in the same way. Jesus isn't surprised by how we've copied the dysfunctional patterns of the tools that we've gotten from our parents or from those around us. Jesus is always compassionate with us. He's always working with us. He never lets us go. He's always moving us from death to life, from lost to found. Somebody say amen. I'm preaching now. So now what? Now what do we do? Well, it's time for us to let go of the pride that fuels our anger. Yeah, I got hurt. Mm -hmm. You got hurt. So now what? Do I really want another person hurting me to make me so miserable that all the people that are loving me don't want to love me anymore because I'm so miserable? (laughs) Golly, that's dumb. No. If someone hurts me, okay, they hurt me. I forgive. I let it go. I express to them what's going on. I say, I don't like that, but I'm not going to be awful to them. Why? Because the moment that I'm awful to them, that means that I'm using the tool of being awful, and I'll use that tool on myself and everybody else. I want to use the tool called love. I want to use a tool called mercy. I want to use a tool called grace on myself and everyone around me. Does that make sense? Right? Since I'm desperate for God's mercy, when someone hurts me, I actually forgive. This is what it looks like to forgive, by the way. 
Jesus. Next slide. You get to be the judge, not me. I let go of being the judge of everyone who hurt me, including myself, and how I judge my own soul. Jesus, I ask that you would be my judge again. That's what it looks like. When you forgive someone, you're not forgetting what they did to you. No one can do that. What you're doing is you're saying, I hand over the right to be judged to you, Jesus. I'm no longer going to kick you off the judgment seat and make sure I really get them. And it looks like this. Next slide. Jesus, I forgive them. I hand them over to you. I let go of the bitterness, the scorekeeping, the resentments. What they did was awful, but I don't want to hold all that hurt and anger anymore. It's yours, Jesus. Jesus, I take back my love and kindness and my compassion that I let go of in order to hold on to all this unforgiveness. You want to pray that crazy prayer with me? You ready to do some work today? We've done some work today. This is it. This is the last slide. Then we got communion. And in communion, God is going to, there's this moment where you get to be united with Jesus. In that moment, like in communion, it's a reminder he, he wants you just as you are right now, even if you're just so full of hurt and anger and resentment. He wants you still. So pray this crazy prayer with me. Jesus, I forgive them. I hand them over to you. I let go of the bitterness, the scorekeeping, the resentments. What they did was awful, but I don't want to hold all the hurt and anger anymore. It's all yours, Jesus. Jesus, I take back my love, kindness. Yeah. I want to invite that worship team up. What am I asking you to do? What is Paul saying? I'll close with this. You ready? Jesus is asking you to let him look at me, not Kilo. Look at me. Not Kilo. Look at me. I said his name, you looked at him. Look at me. This is what I'm asking you to do. This is what Paul's asking you to do. This is what Jesus is asking you to do. He's asking you to let him bear the weight with you. When you let Jesus bear the weight of that wound, of the hurt that you've caused, of the hurt that's been done to you, what helium does to a balloon, Jesus will do with the weight that you're carrying. You still will carry it, but it will be healed. He's asking to do it with you. The invitation is to do it with him. Do you want that? Then as we take communion, abide with him and let him bear that weight. This is why on the night that he was betrayed, he looked at his friends and he goes, all the wounds that you have, all the suffering that you have, I hold in my own body and I will break it for you, for you, for you. Every moment of shame, every moment of condemnation, every moment where you've made a horrible mistake is covered in my blood for you for you, with you. So 
eat and drink his presence into your heart so that all of that weight lifts and all of his love and joy comes in. Do you want this? Then Jesus, we offer our hearts to you again, again and again. Come, Lord Jesus, into the broken places of our hearts. Come into those places where we've been so destroyed by other people. Come into those places where we've been the one who's delivered the hurt. Heal us. I'm tired of the monsters eating us in the darkness. But Jesus, you're enter our darkness. You're the one who brings it all into the light and you love me back to life. So fill my friends with your presence now as they eat and drink. Renew them and restore them and bless them. All the love that you need, all the kindness that you need, all the grace and mercy you need for your own soul and for those around you is found with him. And he's with you and he loves you and he adores you. And so as we drink this cup together, carefully peeling off the lid so you don't spill on you or anyone else, we receive the blood of Jesus which forgives our sins fills us with everything that we need. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance that's his delight in you and give you the peace that passes all understanding in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, outside friends, we have two lines. One is for those of you on a New Year's diet. Those of you, there's another one who are not. May the Lord bless you. Have a great day. Take care, guys. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.